Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night, and I was asked by uh, someone from in the South, Josh Kahn, to uh, do a podcast because his father's yard site is today, seven days and of. Passed away, not, a, not an old man at all. And I thought about it, I agreed to do it. And he mentioned his, his father was a, not a historian, but someone who was interested in history. Is it with? It's a pity I never got to know him. And he was a Tom of the Buck, Mr. Fuller. Wow. Anyhow, uh, he asked me to say something about Kohanim, subject Kohanim, he's a Kohen, and I am. Uh, I don't know. It so happens I was in um, Teaneck the other day on Shabbos, and one of the talks I gave there, although it's always abbreviated, because synagogues always give a very short leash, you know, when they want to talk. Um, and had something to do with Tumas Kohanim and the Rivet and so forth. And I just want to share a piece of it for Josh, uh, in memory of his father, uh, which has historical spin, some of which I mentioned over there, but most people don't listen to speeches in Teaneck on Chavez. And so, if you were in the show, turn this off. Now, um, I'm going to go through the whole thing because it's a little, that's more of a lumdish business. That's something I take on the road when I um, hopefully will go, I don't know, Boca or someplace like that, Texas. But um, I'll do some of the Russia Prokin and the human interest part. Now, basically, the question has to do with the famous Shittas arrival, and I don't want to go into the historical background of it. Uh, that's, like I say, that's more for like a share. This is just a podcast. But any, you're either a coin listener or you're not. If you're not a coin, then this subject is kind of boring, unless you're a big lambda. But if you're a coin, hopefully, um, you know, or you're, you know, son-in-law is a coin, something like that. So the dinam of Kohanim is kind of interesting because it affects your life. Most of you out there, you know, don't have the restrictions Kohanim have, obviously. Who can marry, things like that. And most important, I won't say most importantly, but very um, significantly where you can go. Because a Kohen can't go near a mace and a Kohen can't go in a building that contains a mace. Uh, that's called Tumas Oho. And it's very complicated and it's very complex he has to learn aholos and nausea and so forth. Um, so I'm not going to go through all the nitty-gritty of it. But just basically, if you're like me, a coin, you know, honestly speaking, there's a whole question of going to a hospital and going to a lot of other places. And if you're in Israel, for example, a lot of these roads, they tell you, you know, were built over graves, which is true. If you're flying on a plane, you have old Shiloh, could be a dead body, like they bring him from Newark, you know, over to Israel. That, that whole Shiloh, even if you live in a town like Baltimore, there are cemeteries, if you drive near them, the, the trees hang over, and that can constitute an Ohel if it's a Jewish cemetery. Even if it's a Glacier cemetery, you're not supposed to to do it, but that's different, it's more easy. Uh, I remember, I've driven to Muncie and places like that. If I remember correctly, there's certain places in Queens or whatever, in the expressway, we go, you know, probably, 
looks to me like they built it over an Italian cemetery. So your mom's going over them. And in Israel will be a Jewish cemetery. And anyway, like I said, life can be kind of complicated. Now, um, most of you don't know this. If you're not going, it doesn't matter. The only place you hear about it is when it comes to uh, hospitals, that sort of thing. If you're going to a home where somebody's deathly ill. And possibly if you go to museums. There was a guy who was nice to me in Chicago. I forget his name. We wrote a little booklet, a safer child is about the museums. I'll just give you an example. Me, myself, and I, years ago, I went to the Israel Museum with my mom when she was alive. And it was very interesting and so on and so forth. A lot of art and history. And then they got to a certain wing and they had like dead bodies there. Now, it's true, some of them were mummies and that sort of thing. So technically speaking, it's not a problem. Although you're not Chachil, supposed to go there. But I think they also had some Jewish ones, if I remember correctly. And all you need is a small piece of the body, and you're already in trouble. So I'm just saying, Tumas El runs across all the time. Uh, so you got your hospitals, and you got your, your uh, you know, houses with sick, very sick people. You got your museums. And if most famously, if a coin wants to be a doctor, how can you be a doctor? If you go to medical school, you got to touch the bodies, be in the same room with bodies, this and that and the other. And by the way, Kivri Ako made him a tumble. By a guy, it may be that there's no Tumas El, but there is Tumas Maga. So if I want to do physical dissections and things like that, then, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, you have to touch a body. You're not allowed to touch a guy's body if you're coin any more than a Jew's body. You see what I mean? You see what I'm saying? How many years have she does you know, all of a sudden the coin has to learn all the outlier sheetas that were shown, which we don't really go by. And it gets complicated. I'm saying this to Josh and all the other Kohanim down in Atlanta and any place like that. Um, although I just read somewhere, I don't know anything, I don't know the first thing at all about medical school, but I'm reading that now they're changing the procedures. You don't do uh, physical dissections and things like that, you know, on, on dead bodies. I'm not certainly up, I wasn't on the old medical school stuff, and I'm certainly not on the new medical school stuff. Whatever. Anyway, so in the framework of all this kind of business, there's a famous and controversial sheet of the rabbit who says that none of these rules apply anymore. None of these rules apply anymore. It's basically, like I said, I have a sheet that says, Hilchus Nida doesn't apply anymore. That was long ago, but not anymore. Or Hilchus Shchit and Kasha doesn't apply anymore. You say, what the heck? Right? Nevertheless, the rabbit is a giant reason, and it's very famous in Hilchus Avelis, I think it is. You can look it up. It's very well known. And not only Kohanim are familiar with this, you know, other people in Shiorim, you know, they bring this sort of thing up. And uh wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. I'm just reading a piece from the Ravid where he says, which is a stark caution. Which basically means if anybody's a coin and everything but if he ever got tummy, and they all do, once you got tummy, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Because there's no din that somebody's already tummy can become more tummy. That's his opinion. That's quite a, a shita. Uh, again, I'll just give me an example. Me, myself, and I. First of all, at my age, my parents are gone. My mother died when I was in Israel. I'm sorry, I was in America, she was in Israel, so that's one thing. But my father died when I was young, and I went to the cemetery and all that stuff. You know, I was at the funeral, obviously. So in other words, I was Tommy Mace. 
the Torah says it's a mitzvah that for a father, for example, the coin is required. I'll begin becoming to a, to a carve. All right, fine. So you're telling me if we were living thousands of years ago, the only way I could get out of it was a pardum, which you don't have. So therefore, I'm stuck permanently. Tell me. I repeat, I didn't do anything wrong. It's a mitzvah say to go to my father's uh, funeral, right? So I did the right thing, but that doesn't affect the fact that I'm tummy. So according to the rivet, okay, Cass, once you're tummy, it's a, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Now it's a free ride. You can go to cemeteries. You can kiss corpses if that's your thing. You can do whatever you want because right? Now this is a dasi, as you can imagine. Well, Again, I'm not going to get lumbus on you. You know, the summer says, I'll give the regular stuff. And if Josh or any of you guys are interested in following this up, they can ask their local Orthodox rabbi and he'll give them the Makaris. It's well known stuff. Uh, but he had this rabbi who lived in the 12th century, and he said, Quantum Namasuma Fushitum. The Sephardic Gedolim very strongly rejected this. It's all Mishnah Melch who says, can't even rely on it as a sniff, and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, it's out there. Now, the interesting part is the role it plays in the 18th century, and that is, I noticed long ago that when you get what we call the early modern era, which is your 1500s, your 1600s, 1700s, from a strictly historical halachic point of view, it's interesting, certain types of shalas popped up because of the new realities of the early modern period as opposed to the medieval ages, the Jews moved from the places they lived in the early in the Middle Ages. Usually, they're kicked out to new places. The Sephardim left Spain and went to Turkey, Turkish Empire. The Ashkenazim, generally speaking, left France and Germany and went to Poland. You know things like that. New Ashkenazi communities were set up in the early modern era, 1700s. and there are certain types of shilas that popped up which are very characteristic of the early modern response of. Two that come to mind as I'm saying this podcast is uh, Eruv questions, all kind of interesting Eruv questions, because the Jews all of a sudden found themselves in places that they'd never been in the Middle Ages, Venice, uh, Hamburg, The Hague in, in, in uh, Amsterdam, and other cities that had rivers running through them and bridges, and how does that affect making an Eruv? Um, there's that famous question, you know, can you regard the whole England as like, you don't need an error because it, the, 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 the karka is higher at a certain angle than the, than the yam. So that's being like a natural wall. In America, they call it the Manhattan question, you know, right? I'm sure you heard, I think I did once about Menachem Kasher. He said, you know, you basically the whole Manhattan is an error. Meaning if it, if again, I'm not going to get technical. If the, walls holding things up at a certain angle that can at a certain height that can count as, as what you and I would call an Arab. It's actually better than it. It's actually better than an Arab. Anyway, without getting into this, there are all these unusual Arab questions that popped up in terms of geography, topography, and also who's the Sarah Hoyer. I actually did a talk at it once in a university. It's online somewhere. And long ago, that's one. And another one is Kohanim, Thomas Kohanim, which was interest to me. You find again and again in the 15, especially 1600s and 1700s, problems popping up with Kohanim. And one of them goes like this. Uh, 
You used to have ghettos in some places that were packed Jewish neighborhoods. And the entire Jewish community would live in what you and I would call one long row houses, right? They're attached. And without going into details, think, the, the, the laws of Tum are weird. And they, you know, and if my house is attached to your house, if it's completely separated by walls, the Tumor won't go from your house to my house. But it may be that the overhangs are such that the Tumor goes out from your house uh, to the overhang and then ent enters the window into my house. I I'm not being funny. I'm serious about this. There are all kind of nutty cases which you have to worry about. And one of the famous ones, which got very controversial, was in time of Pnei Yeshua. I think I did this when I did long ago, the Pnei Yeshua, long ago. And uh, when he came to Frankfurt, he was robbed by many places, eventually Frankfurt Domain, and there was a real ghetto, two long blocks, and the house all connected to each other, and a wall around the whole business. And if somebody died in one of those buildings, and somebody's always dying, you know, so uh, the the fears were, the shita was, that the building is constructed in such a way that the tumor goes from one house to the other. So I could be in a, me, I'm a coin. I could be 20 houses away from where a guy died 20 houses away. It's all one long row of houses connected to each other. And for various reasons, I, the coin, have to hit the road and, leave, and run out of the house and stay out of the house as long as the dead body's there. Actually, and stay in the house until they take the body out and bury it, meaning they'd have to take it out of the building, walk it through the streets, take it out the wall with the gate, you know, the doorway of the wall around the ghetto. There's an didn't called self tumulates. It can make your life hell. And the reason I say it, suppose the guy's 75 or 80, and he's a coin, and it's winter, and it's Frankfurt, and it's freezing, uh, no central heating in those days, and somebody died somewhere or whatever, uh, and they tell the guy, okay, Pops, hit the road, Jack, go out of the house, and, uh, you know, we'll take the food out to you over there. He's, an 80-year-old guy supposed to sleep outside? He'll catch pneumonia. I'm serious. I can't tell you how many times this popped up in the Shalos and Chubas. I remember the Shara Fryim and this one and that one. And uh, a famous episode, which you'll see is no gate us in a second, uh, happened with the uh, Pnei Shua, when he came to Frankfurt, he said the Quran went him crying. And they said, "Why? We're all screwed over. We, every time somebody dies, which is all the time, we're all out freezing in the in, in the rain and the cold and this and that and the other, and you can't even leave out because the din of self tumultuous makes it you can't go out through the front door of the ghetto, and we're stuck in the street. And it's terrible." And he said, "Why are they all connected? They're not all connected." He looked. The overhangs. It didn't have one long you know, running thing in such a way they had to worry about overhang kind of stuff. And they said it's because of the sewage pipe, the beob. And the sewage pipe they tied in, meaning earlier rabbis had said, it's connected to each toilet in such a way that it con conducts the tumma one house to another through the toilet, down to the sewage pipe and into the next house, up through the toilet and there. I know it sounds weird, but believe it or not, it's a Mishnah. Right? The, the Mishnah is already talks about such cases. And the Pnei Yeshua, very controversially, has all contrasts, and he said it's baloney. The Tumma does not go out. Uh, so basically, he was saying all the previous rabbis were wrong. And all hell broke loose. And it's one of the reasons the Pnei Yeshua eventually was kicked out of Frankfurt. It's not the only reason it was kicked out of Frankfurt. A lot of it had to do with the Emden Amshitz fight. But that's a biggie. Because the Yuckers didn't like to hear 
that the pre-Yerdika rabbis were wrong. Okay. Now, hold that thought. The Pnei Yeshua died in 1756. Remember that date. So he was a rabbi in the 1750s. Now, uh, the scene changes a couple decades later. And the um, Hassam Sofer was born in Frankfurt. He lived there from an old family. And Hassam Sofer, uh, in the family memoirs, they say, probably not in the article biography, that um, he had a terrible relationship with his father. The father, from an early age, saw the son was a potential genius, and he rode him hard. He didn't act smart. You know, saying you know, suffer like a tour. He took it literally. You know, you try to don't let him play. They forced him. Always critical. You know, you don't know the Gemara well enough, and so forth. He thought he's doing him a favor, uh, but it wasn't true. The, the person who became some Moshe Sofer, obviously had a sensitive personality, and a sensitive personality reacts bad to this. There was a toxic relation developed between him and his father, which came to a climax at the bar mitzvah, when the Chassam Sofer, who's not a coin. And his bar mitzvah, and the father prepared a long shuttle that he should stay over and wow everybody. And listen, the Chassam Sofer 13 could do it. But he, and I think he made his own Kedushim up, and in the, in the course of the shuttle, he said that uh, based on this and his Gemara and so forth, you have a caution on something my great-grandfather said. His great-grandfather had been the rabbi in Frankfurt, who knows back when, Marshishach, right? Who, by the way, was the guy who said that the Kohanim have to leave the house and they're all connected by the toilet bowl and so forth, the sewage pipe. So the story is that the father of the Chassam Sober was so outraged that the 13-year-old boy would say any critical remark whatsoever about the freer digger, about his own ancestor, you know, that he went up and publicly slapped him in the face, which is a bizarre in and the son dropped everything and ran out and basically didn't want to be from again. This is the Chassam Sober, Right? So in other words, in parenting, he got an F. <laughs> you understand? He didn't understand. Now you say it's the old school. Well, the old school doesn't work all the time. You understand? The old school does not work all the time. I don't think today anybody would have trouble understanding what I just said. It would not be smart if your kid did something wrong, especially in public, to go and publicly slap him, even privately, but it publicly slap him. I can't think of anything more calculated to make a toxic relationship to a parent than the, than the child. Okay? Uh... So this is what was happening over there. And uh, the boy ran away and didn't want to see the father. And basically, uh, what happened was that uh, Ramnason Adler, who was living in Frankfurt at that time, I mean, he was born there, lived there, and Nelson Hakohen Adler was a coin. He was born in 1740. Remember what I just said? Born in 1741, I think, died 1800. So that means... They lived a short life. He, he was, wasn't even 60 when he died. Uh, and he was a millionaire. And he had his own kolel. And I think you've heard, I don't believe I ever did him, but I think you heard, he was eccentric. Knows he's a tremendous gong and a chassid shabbat kahuna and so forth. But he damned Havaras Fardit and he damned Nusach Arit and he duchen and he did all kind of weird things. And the guys in his kolel dissed all the others in the community. You guys aren't from and so forth and so on which freaked out, freaked out the Yekis. And basically, they became convinced this is some kind of proto-Shabtai-Sweet type situation or a cult of some kind or another. Because the truth of the matter is, it has a cult-like look to it. What you do with a cult is you get a couple to meet him, you hang together, 
you learn up a storm, and then you diss everybody else, and then you say you're the only kosher ones, and next thing you know, there's shop tight speak. So that's not what happened to us in Adler at all, but that's how people talk. I might point out that I told you before, the Panacea was there in the 1750s. That would mean Nathan Adler, Nelson Adler, Nelson Atoyan Adler, was a, a young man, a teenager, when the Panacea was there, he learned by him. And it's funny, he was a super for me, the uh, Nelson Adler, had a big machmer, but he was makel on this business about the, the, the sewage uh, uh, pipes. Notice he said, you do not have to go out of the house. Isn't that interesting? Notice he followed the Panacea which is another thing they had against him. Uh, and then followed the Marchichach. So I hope you have not been confused, but if you are, I understand why. The point of the story goes like this. So, again, this is what it says in the Psalm Silver family's history. Uh, what's it called? Not play to sofer him, something like that. I have it uh, in, in the other midpah. Something I sofer him. Anyway, by his grandson, great-grandson. So, Nelson Adler went to the parents and he said like this to the father, you have poisoned the relationship with such a much that this kid is on the verge of becoming not from. Right now he does not want to be from. He said, the heck with it. If you will give him over to me, I will raise him, I'll keep him in learning, and I'll nurture him to be the guttle that he could possibly be. But on the condition that he have no contact with you, that will kill everything. So that sounds a little cult-like. But on the other hand, you can totally hear that it made sense. And I don't know what the family... And he said like this, any communication will be with the mother, not with the father. But kachava. And so here, Chassam Sover, Moshe Sover, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, living all... They all live in a block from each other. The whole ghetto is, is small. I'm sure he saw the father father saw him, but he played along with the program because he's afraid of losing his son to Yiddishkeit and afraid of losing a potential guttle. So, you know, I'd rather, you know, we don't hear the father's side of the story, but I, I guess, I guess the father said, oh, yes, I'll do whatever it takes so my, shun, my son should box size to be a, a chassam sever. It's a heck of a story. The mother he was close with, the father not. And that's how it happened. Then the chassam sever became very close with not only his rabbi, you might call him as like a surrogate father. I don't have to tell you these are the formative years, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and very sensitive years, teen years. So it's some sort of the human story. Eventually, because of all these eccentricities, uh, Nelson Adler was kicked out of town. That's the long and the short of it. <clears throat> I'm skipping over a lot of details, but I don't want to go an hour. Nelson Adler was kicked out of town. And uh, so to land on his feet, he was offering, he took a job in Bohemia, which is in town Boscovitz, where the Matzah Shekel was. Now, if you look at a map, if you choose to do this, just Google, like I do sometimes, the distance between Frankfurt and Boscovitz, and they'll show you a road map. You'll see, in the middle, you're going eastward, you understand, so east into Europe. You're going from Frankfurt, which is not far from the Rhine, you know, through Bavaria into Bohemia to, uh, I guess, eastern Bohemia and to the town of Boskowitz. So if you are at all interested in this, you'll do what I said. Google, you know, distance between uh, Frankfurt and Boskowitz, and you'll see Prague is in the middle of the journey. That's my point. Prague is in the middle of the journey. 
here in the 1780s, and the guy's going, and it's famous that the Ramosha Sofer said, if you're going into Golis, I'm following you. You go with the Rebbe. There's a Gemara like that, right? You go with the Rebbe. And he did. I believe he never saw his parents again. I, I believe. But, so it's a dramatic story, but nevertheless, that's what happened. So they proceeded on their journey, just a few years prior to the French Revolution. So it's the last years of the old school. And anybody who knows about the Hassam Sofer knows that they wrote up his adventures, and he went to Prague, and later Vienna, and this place, and he went to the millionaire's house, and he cussed out the girls that they weren't dressed as It's like a whole story about that with the Hassam Sofer. But anyway, when he came to Prague, who was the rabbi in Prague? Noda Behuda. Noda Behuda. Mr. Schatz, Mr. Everything. Golator. Now, I don't know if he heard the rumors. I'm sure he did. A rumor, you know how Jews are. The Jewish telegraph was very fast. And here's Nelson Adler coming, kicked out of Frankfurt, on his way to Boskowitz. As you pass through, and you spend a week or Shabbos, whatever it was, in Prague. So, once upon a time, it's a basic Derek Heritz. We come to a town, you pay a courtesy call on the Rav, on the Ab Basin. This old school um, rabbinic uh, courtesy. Actually, used to be a Geisha thing also in this country. Long ago, you'd come to people's house and, and leave your calling card. Maybe you heard of that, that. But, you know, if you read these bios of Shlomo Zalman and people like that, you'll see Yerushalayim when the Yantav Chalamoid, let's say it's a sukkah, the Shlomo Zalman would go all these Rabbanim, come in the house for five minutes, sit in the sukkah, I don't even have to make a bracha, just to pay a courtesy visit. You know what I'm saying? And they would come to him. This is this is the Derek Harris of, of, of yesteryear. Okay. So, here you have Nelson Adler with his faithful sidekick, Sancho Panza, otherwise known as Moshe Sofer, Hassam Sofer. And they go visit uh, the Nerebi Huda. And it's his And Nelson Adler is a coin. And basically, um, you know, these are two gedolim. And so they didn't shoot the ball. You know, they say, how the Orioles doing? Immediately, jump into learning, talking learning. It so happens that the thing they were talking about in learning was this rivet who says that a coin nowadays, you know, um, doesn't have to worry about being tummy anymore. Because you can assume just about every coin has become tummy. Now, it's a weird shita because I told you the story of me, myself, and I. So, I, Taka, lost my father at a young age. I went to a funeral, so that's a legitimate way of saying I got tummy. But he says you can assume every coin at one time or another was tummy. I can only imagine that he means the vagaries of life are such that willy-nilly, unless you live like a coin in the ancient times in a cave for your whole life, you're going to come across some screwball situation where not that you wanted it to happen, you end up in the same room with a dead body, or that ohel situation applies, or you're walking under some trees and you didn't realize the other side was a dead thing. You know, those kind of things. It happens. I've often told the story of me that when you used to have the Hebrew College, uh, Baltimore Hebrew College, which was the like the Moskila College in Baltimore, a very good library. That was my library when I was young, thousands of volumes. And uh, I was once there, as I used to do. That was a Tuesday. And it's time in the weekday. And, you know, nobody ever used the library except me. <laughs> So, all the thousands of books. 
And a guy walked upstairs where the library was, dressed very nice, spiffy, in a black suit, a black tie, which you usually don't see people like that. It wasn't from. Yeah, one of those yarmulkes, you know. And another guy, and make a long story short, when I came downstairs to check out the books, there's a coffin there. It turned out one of the old professors, Erlinsky, had died, and they decided it's to make the funeral here in, in the building in the library. I said, why didn't somebody tell me I was coming? They didn't even know what I was talking about because they're not from. They had no idea what I was talking about. See? So I couldn't check out the books. I got to get the heck out of there as soon as possible. And that's simply an example of the vagaries and, and screwball situations that can hit you if you're going. So, based on this, the Ravid says, all the Kohanim b'tmei meis, ve'enot aleim chiv tumah, v'machai v'sam olav l'havirai, and they, this is what they were talking about. My guess is, this has to do with the Halonis HaMais business, which was raging in the 1780s. It's the whole question of the European countries started to adopt a policy. They can't bury somebody unless 48 hours have passed since the death, which is against the Jewish rule, you bury them as soon as possible. There's a whole long, very famous essay by Professor, what's his name? Uh, Samet. Uh, on the Halon Samet's controversy. Moses Mendelssohn weighed in on the wrong side. It was a big fight, and the European countries did pass laws and insist that the Jews, tough luck, had to follow this. You know what I'm saying? And they did. You know what I'm saying? It's a Halon Samet, but it happened. And in that context, there are questions about checking if the guy's really dead. You see, rumors popped up in Europe and spread like wildfire. wildfire which were historically not true. <laughs> but the rumors like the horror movies from my youth. They found scratch marks in the coffin. <laughs> you get it? Found scratch marks in the coffin. That means they buried a live guy, and then he said, what the heck? And he scratched away and died a horrible death. And that's enough to freak you out. So, the one makes sure the guy's dead. Now, to be perfectly honest, the way they used to check, including the Jews, you put a feather there or something, say we breathe. I can't say it's that latest science. You know? And... Who knows if they buried a lot of people? I doubt it. You know? But as far as I'm aware, what I read, they never actually turned out to be true that they found these things. It was the rumors. But it was considered scientific. These laws were passed. And uh, Kohen issues popped up to Mantara. Lee Biomerly, that's what the Nelson Adler and the Nodavir started hopping in. And one of the interesting things was that Nodavir said, like this, Look, you have a you have a rabbit sheet there. You know, maybe you can use it in a spec spec it this way, that way, you know, whatever we're talking about. And Nelson Adler said no. The rabbit doesn't mean um the rabbit doesn't mean that it's okay. It just means it's not a chi of chattas, but it's still usher. And this conversation, as you can imagine, two could all went on and on and on and on. Finally without resolution. Finally, Nelson had to go to his hotel and and the classic style of yesteryear, especially in Nodabi Huda, who loved fights. I don't mean in a bad way, I mean a good way. I don't mean physical fights or anything like that at all. I mean Torah fights. He loved being slugged up and then coming back at you. That's just who he was. It's very interesting. Um, you know, sometimes a rabbi doesn't like to be slugged up in the sheer. He loved it because it, you know, put a, he, he slugged you back. So, um, so, when he went back to the hotel, they continued the conversation by correspondence. Okay? And he wrote him, and he wrote him. 
And who is the go-between? As they say, Sancho Panta, the uh, young Kassam Sofer, who years later says, and this is in your day, it's very famous. A lot of people know this, um, but I assume a lot of people listening to this don't know it also. It's in your day of uh, 338, and he, there was a certain Shiloh there, exactly about a coin examining bodies like a coroner. And he says, here in the Kadavin Natalia, when I was young, the Chassam Zilber says, Yosek Maima, they Murray Chosh Bakuna, Murray Rabbi Nelson Adler's Atal. And I was learning Yosek Maima, I was a disciple, Nathan Adler. Shnas Tafko Mem Gimel, it was uh, 1783. But Avarnu Derek Prague, when we were passing through Prague on our way uh, to Boskowitz, Ro'o Pene Hagon and Nuri Hudazal. So we visited my Rabbi. Raul Panay going to play the courtesy call on Nebi Yehuda. Vayapil Pulam Bedivri Haravid. That's how I know this. Okay? Vayanoda Behuda Heralamori. They said Shekosval Gilyana. And the Nebi Yehuda already at that time in his life was already writing his notes to the Shulchan Aruch, which you and I know is the Dogal Mervava. Okay? So I'm calling your attention to Dogal Mervava in. Uh, I don't like to get technical, but I don't think this is too much. And that is um, in Shin Ayin uh, Gimel, I guess. No, Shin Ayin Base. Okay? Yeah, Shin Ayin Base. Uh, I had to pull out my big, fancy, heavy old Shulchan Ark from my youth, give the Ahurna to pick it up, because <laughs> the smaller Shulchan Arks I have don't have the Dogo Mervava. These are the notes that were later published noted in the Shulchan Ark. The Hanavi Herald Lamori. So, I guess maybe that what happened was that he walked in when the Nidavi who was writing his uh, notes on Shulchan Aruch, and since he saw Isaac Cohen, this is a possible, I'm giving you a possible reconstruction of the events. Since he saw this coming to him, Nelson Adler is a Cohen, he said, Look at this. I'm writing a thing about the Ravid in, um, you know, in uh, my Dogo Merwawa. What do you think of it? And he challenged them. And basically, the rivet, the nerd of was saying, the rivet means what it says. And Nathan Adler said, it doesn't mean what it says. It just means, like I said before, you're chayiv in this. You're, not, you're putter from this, but you're chayiv in that. It's still also. Umari Rabbi, so again, a nerd of Yehuda, Harold Umari, he showed him his proposed note. Umari Rabbi Pilpolov, and my Rabbi jumped at him in Pilpol, and he didn't settle it so by the time the conversation was over, and when he went back to the hotel, when they, when they, you know, physically departed from each other, so they sent back uh, the arguments in, in print, the written arguments, back and forth. And I was the errand boy, which you have to understand, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> if you're the young Chassam Sover, to be the shaky angle between the Nodabi Huda and us and Adler, as Gavaldic, you understand? Uh, and my Rebbe won. Uh, and the Nerdbi was Chaiser. He said, You know, you're right. Okay? And indeed, uh, he wrote that in the Nerdbi and in, in, in the Dogma Baba. Again, this is very famous. And it's on Dogma Baba, as they say, the Shinai Basin. In um, Yardair. And I'm just reading the part over here 
The first half, he makes the case that the rivet means what he says, and it's okay. And maybe he can use it as a specs fake, or maybe not. And then, Omri Yichesko, after this conversation, and back and forth with Nelson Adler, the Nodemuda says, Masha Kosafti Begillion Shnei Asif Manal, that what I wrote up to now, see, he didn't erase what he wrote, he's adding an addendum. I was following the Mishnah Melch, who understands the Raiva to mean literally what he says, and that any coin nowadays can do whatever the heck he wants. Shein Iser Klal a coin Klal a coin. That's what I just told you. Now, once he's already told me, he can be told himself afterwards. There's no, there's no restrictions upon him altogether. Okay. I will Achshav Nosati Alibi. But now I've started to rethink. Now he doesn't say there. I had a conversation with a distinguished guest, and that led me to rethink. This is how things are written sometimes. Nosati Alibi. I started to rethink. Shulai Lo Amar Arivet El Inyan Chi of Malkus. The rabbi just meant it's not also the level of derisity of Malchus for a coin to be tummy nowadays, even if he's already tummy. Avlinian Iser, Ulai, Afil Iser Torah, Moda. Maybe it's even there's, maybe there's Iser Torah. Now, again, he wasn't sure about this. And to tell you the truth, the note of Yehud in 1783 was already getting old, and he had a hard time the last 10 years of his life. I happen to know that. But still, you know. Like the guy said, I could beat you with one hand time behind my back. You're talking about a big guy over here. And he says, These shijas and sugas are very twisted and difficult. Notice he really got to be my eye very closely in the more nazir. And it could be read this way and it could be read that way. There are different sugas and chas that seem to contradict each other. So it ain't push it at all. It's a deep matter, and and what I'm doing is just writing short notes in the Sadi Shulchan Aruch, whereas this really requires a treatise. So based on that, I'm withdrawing my previous actor that's in the Shulchan Aruch over there for a coin to go in a Geisha cemetery. Right? But in other cases, that's called a coin arum. The coin was naked, this is a Trimus Adeshem, and he had to run out of the house in the middle of the night. I'm not going to go into that. I'm simply saying um, that you had this very interesting back and forth whether or not you take this rivet um, literally or or not. And this became the uh, famous Nerdy Huda. By the way, so what happened? Nathan Adler and him left, and they wanted to have their own adventures. And eventually, student and uh, Rebbe departed from each other a number of years later. And the Sofer went on his merry way and began his career on his own, became the Chassam Sofer. Nathan Adler eventually came back to Frankfurt, but he died not an old man at all. I think he died in 1800, uh, just before the reform started. So it's a it's quite a story. Uh, and this has been used ever since by people who say, well, you can't go, because a guy was like this, I got a head there based on the ride to go to medical school. They said, no, no, no. No to be who to shot it down. Because uh, it's still awesome. There are other Akronim, and again, I don't want to go into this in detail, including Rabbi Givager, who say, no, no, no. The the, the Ravid meant what he said. And you have to deal with it at that level. According to Ravid, you have a radical heter. A radical heter. And basically, a coin nowadays 
Doesn't have to worry about two months going on, and period. You know? It's radical because the rabbinic literature is all full of laws of Tumas Kohanim in the Shulchan Aruch down till today. And according to Rive, it's all waste of time. I mean, all these pages and pages of halachas and all these rules and rules and rules, according to the Rive, the way it is understood, is what do you call it? It's a waste of time. None of it applies anymore. So it's always been a controversial matter. But it's just interesting to me, and I wanted to share with Josh Khan since he's interested in coin stuff, that here you have a typical example of coin questions that pop up in the early modern period, uh, early modern period, particularly uh, in the context of uh, this Halonis Hamais business, known as the new rules for burial. And indeed, the context of this Shubat Achsam Sofer, speaking historically, where he says, Shalom Rav, Mori Hagoro Hachoritz Hamoflog, and he doesn't name Plony. He doesn't say his name. It happens to be in a Maritz Chayis. And Maritz Chayis, I think I did once, was in Galicia, and it was within the framework of Gedolim was a left winger. Not by your framework, but within the framework of Gedolim. And, uh, but he wouldn't run everything by Chassam Silver. And the question is so interesting because it says, Nin Irachas Shaharofi Coin. There's a certain city in Galicia, because that's where Marzchayis was. And the doctor is a coin. Maybe, you know, in other words, however he got the MD, it doesn't matter, but he's a coin. And he's a, an officer of the state. Umini Musi Hamadina, as one of the laws of the country in Austria, Sha'ina Mason Nidwarna Achashabot Karofi. You're not allowed to bury anybody until a doctor certifies the guy's dead. Umayalov, Shinishiashakamot. After Nuffalo, he's got to be testified, though he's got to sign an official document that the guy's dead. So what could this guy who's a coin, can he carry this duty out? You see, so he's looking for a hetter. And it was in this context, it's a, it's a long chasam server, I just showed you a piece, uh, that he brought up this arrival. Uh, so it goes to show you that um, Cohen questions uh, play a very interesting role in what I call early modern response. So nowadays, it's a different set of questions. It does not include this, but add new ones, particularly the ones about modern hospitals, which are built in very specific ways. I ain't going to get into that right now. But it just goes to show you that life is interesting if you're a from coin. Let's put it that way. Life is interesting from coin. Anyway, just wanted to share that. I uh, want to thank again Josh for sponsoring this and paying tribute to his dad. Um who he said was a Lincoln scholar, by the way. And uh, we hope Nisham will have an aliyah. And with that, I wish everybody... For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.